0: Good evening, it's good to see everyone here tonight, amen, Amen. so tonight we're going to uh, continue in the book of Exodus, last week we went over chapters 35 and 36, tonight we'll go over all of chapter 37 and the better part of chapter 38 and then Mike will finish off the book next week. But before we get started, I didn't want to read the whole text for tonight. It's quite a chunk, but we're going to go through it as we go through the the sermon. We're going to look at every piece of furniture, so we'll have the reading of the text that we're going over. But I want to ask that at this time we stand and we open in a word of prayer. And I want to read for you a familiar passage in 2 Timothy 3.15 and 16, and ask God's blessing. The Word of God says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let us pray. My Father, my God, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here tonight, O God. Lord, you are our shepherd. You watch out for us. You care for us, Lord God. You care for us so much, Lord God, that you sent your Son to be our Savior. And you watch over us, Lord, and you provide for us. You keep us safe. And you bring us peace and comfort, Lord God, in times of trouble. And Father, tonight as we, as we look at your word, Lord God, I just pray the words that we sung, Lord God, our desire is to be holy. So we ask, Father God, that you would purify our hearts tonight. That we would be cleansed from within, Lord God. We confess our sin, Lord God, and ask for your cleansing of that sin. We ask, Father God, that we, in this, that we are, Lord God, we have been set apart to you, Lord God, for your purpose, called by you to bring you honor and glory. Lord. So, Father, as, as we go through this message tonight, Lord God, a lot of it is repetitive, Father God, but again, you care for us, and, and you know that we have a tendency to forget, a tendency sometimes to ignore and stray, Lord God, so we thank you for your patience, we thank you for the repetitiveness, Lord God, and whatever work it is that you have to do in each one of us tonight, Lord God, to teach us, to reproof, Lord God, to train us, Lord God, in righteousness most of all, We commit ourselves to you and this service in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, I said last week we finished up chapter thirty-six. Chapter thirty-six was they began to construct. Right? We 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 saw we saw chapter thirty-five that people were called that were called by God. Some with specific gifts. uh, Some uh, were able to teach people those gifts to help people uh, develop their own gifts. And then there were others that had specific uh, responsibilities. Um, and, and they began, uh, they came, they all came together uh, and they ans- came to God's call, let's say, to begin this construction. And they did begin the construction in chapter 36. They began with the tabernacle itself. <coughs> Excuse me. And tonight, we're going to look at each piece within the tabernacle and within the courtyard or the outer courts and see the significance of them. Every piece of the the tabernacle was, we know, a foreshadowing of of Jesus. But again, each piece would make known something about God, something about His character, about who God is. God instituted the pieces and ordained their use so that Israel could have a relationship with Him. As with all Scripture, the tabernacle points us to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? God instituted the Messiah and ordained His atoning work in order that man may be reconciled with God. So we'll look again at each piece tonight, and my prayer is that that we be reminded of of, of the work that God is doing in us with those pieces, the work that He's done, and, and, and how Jesus fulfills the instituted purpose of each one of those pieces. So I've titled tonight's message, Then and Now, God is the Same. Then and Now, God is the Same. God is unchanging. Amen? Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is the ark. And that's in chapter 37, verses 1 through 5. We read from the word of God, Bethsaleel made the, the ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half was its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet, two rings on its one side and two rings on its other side. And he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. So Bezalel, again, he was the builder, he was the craftsman, he was the designer of of these pieces. Uh, Again, God designed them, but when we get to the fabrics, God gave that to him uh, for him to do. But he also, as we learned last week, everyone assembled and he was able to teach other people to come alongside and help out with the work. But he built, as as we go through these, he built every piece according to God's Specifications. And that's, that's something that, that really speaks out about this, this passage that we're looking at tonight, and really all of Exodus. To have fellowship, to have communion with God, God desires that for us. He, he, he longs to have fellowship with His people. He also prescribes a way that it's done. So that is kept in mind all through Exodus. Now, in the ark, we know that there are three pieces, there's three things in the ark. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 16, the Lord says to Moses, and you shall put into the ark of the testimony that I shall give you, and you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. Again, the tablet, the the testimony of God, the Ten Commandments. There was one copy that was for Israel to keep, and another one that would go into the ark. These were God's covenant terms, and they, they needed to be protected. They needed to be kept safe. They need to be guarded. Or in other words, they need to be cherished by the people. There was a value to them. And by putting them in the ark, God was saying, these are very valuable things. You have to take heed of them. You have to listen to my commands. In Deuteronomy 31-26, we'll read that he says, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. And then he says, that it may be there for a witness against you. In other words, that it may be a reminder of what is required of you. In order to have a relationship with me, this is what is required. So God's law is a reminder of his statutes and, and his promised blessings. If, remember back in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse uh, 23. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. Again, as you move with this, as you go place to place, I will come to you and bless you. Mike, Mike mentioned this morning in, in morning prayer how in the book of Exodus we see the blessings of God. And it is, the, it is God's blessing that He wants to have communion with us and He makes the way for us. Amen? And that word bless, that word bless, actually, it should come up on the screen, is a thing that is uh, a conducive to happiness or welfare, right? Bless to do something that would be conducive to happiness or welfare. Right, what the Lord is doing is for our welfare. It, it is that He would make a way for us, all right, to to have fellowship with Him, to have a relationship with Him, to be reconciled with Him. So we have. The, uh, the testimony in there, the other thing that was in the ark was the manna, right? Back in Exodus chapter 16, we read, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread which, <coughs> with which I fed you in the wilderness. When I brought you out of the land of Egypt, and Moses uh, said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. Again, doing exactly as the Lord commanded. Now, we're going we're to, as as we go through uh, the remaining books, well, not the remaining books, but the, the Pentateuch, we see Numbers, all right, in Numbers uh, Moses, Moses, we see even in the past that Moses' leadership had been challenged, right? And in, and in Numbers, Aaron's, we read that Aaron's priestly uh, position had also uh, been challenged. And back uh, ahead in Numbers uh, 17, you know, there, there's a time where, where Aaron's priestly position was challenged. And what did Moses do? Moses took the, the staffs of, of all the priests and he, and he cast them before the Lord, in the Holy of Holies, and what happened was, what happened to Aaron's uh, staff? It had sprouted uh, blossoms and and brought forth uh, buds. And then in, in verse 10 of Numbers 17, it says, and the Lord said to Moses, put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels that you may make an end of their grumblings against me lest they die. So that was the item that was also placed into the ark. God had made it clear with that that he'd appointed Aaron as priest over Israel and that God is the ultimate authority. And we also read later on in Joshua, right, 1 and 2 Samuel, uh, how God was present with Israelites because the ark went before them into battle. So God is the authority. So So, Again, each one of these pieces of furniture tells us something. So what does the ark tell us? Just to kind of sum it up, the ark tells us that the law that's in there, again, it's a reminder of God's statutes as, as, as how to live and the need that we have, that the people have for a Savior. The ark also tells us that God is the provider. Again, He sustained them with the manna. So the manna's in there. And then the, again, that God is the authority with Aaron's staff, that he appointed Aaron the priest. <coughs> Excuse me. So there we have the ark. The next piece that, that we read about is the mercy seat in verses 6 through 9. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length and a cubit and a half uh, its breadth. And he made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat, he made the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. With their faces one to another toward the mercy seat were the faces of the cherubim. The mercy seat, now the mercy seat, it's it's the concept of of, of atonement or, or reconciliation is represented there. Um, the the root of that w- the root of that uh, mercy seat refers to the process of causing people to be true friends, allies, or kin, and not to be distant, hostile, or at odds. Again, that's from the New American Commentary on Exodus. Right. It's root. Its root refers to the process of causing people to be true friends, allies or kin, and not to be distant, hostile, or at odds. Right? At one time, we were in enmity with God. Amen? The mercy seat accomplishes the reconciliation, that we are no longer at odds. We are no longer distant. Right. We are reconciled to God. In Psalm 80, verse 1, we read, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. This and other Psalms create a picture in our mind's eye of, of God, right? Seated on the mercy seat. And, and this really happened, in, in a sense, in the Holy of Holies. When, when God would descend, right? On the tabernacle... He was, he was the cloud that was over the ark. In Exodus 25, we read in verse 22, There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So what does the mercy seat tell us? The mercy seat tells us that God is the divine ruler that He rules over heaven and earth. God rules with mercy and justice, again, mercifully granting forgiveness as the blood of the atoning sacrifice would be sprinkled to the right of that, or to the left, to the left of the mercy seat. Today, we could say that Jesus, figuratively speaking, is enthroned between the two cherubim. We're told in the Bible to take refuge uh, beneath God's wings, right? We hear that a lot in the Psalms. And, and it refers to a little chick uh, taking uh, refuge in the, in the mother hen's uh, wings and being safe and secure there, uh, protected. We have the mercy seat with the cherubim and their wings extended over it. In Psalm 36, 7, Psalm 36 verse 7, we read, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. This psalm makes reference. This according to Reformed Bible Notes. Uh, this psalm makes reference in taking refuge beneath the wings of these cherubim, where atonement has been made and God would sit enthroned. The blood that saved Israel from God's judgment was between those cherubim. Again, figuratively, figuratively speaking... Jesus is seated on the mercy seat, that we are protected and it's a safe place for those who seek refuge. What are we safe from? We are safe from God's wrath and that we are reconciled to Him. So, again, to take refuge there. So, the ark, right? We had the, uh, the, the ark, we had the mercy seat, now we have the table of presence in verses 10. To 16. Actually, the table of presence literally means the bread of the face. Right? That bread is in the face before God, in the presence of God. Hence the name table, the table of presence. So, beginning in verse 10 of chapter 37, he also made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made a molding of gold around it. And he made a rim around it. A handbreadth wide, and made a molding of gold around the rim. He cast for it four rings of gold and fastened the rings to the four corners of its four legs. Close to the frame were the rings, as holders for the poles to carry the table. He made the poles of acacia wood to carry the table and overlaid them with gold. And he made the vessels of pure gold that were to be on the table its plates and dishes for incense, and its bowls and flagons with which to pour drink offering. Now, we learn that there would be be 12 loaves of bread on this table of presence, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And again, this bread was always present. On the Sabbath, the priest would replace the bread with new bread and eat the old bread while standing in the holy place. So again, we're reminded, eating in the presence of God revealed that Israel was intimately known and loved by their God. If you remember in Exodus 24, when God confirmed his covenant with Israel, Moses, Aaron, Nahab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders were called up by the Lord up the mountain. And it says in Exodus 24 11, they beheld God and they ate and drank with him. Well, they ate and drank. He was there, not that he ate. But God, they beheld Him. They saw again. God made Himself known in whatever particular way He did, and they had communion. There was the table. So this table, the bread, was the would have been the uh, the people's offering of gratitude for God's provision of their daily bread, and also His provision of an everlasting covenant of salvation. In Leviticus twenty four eight. We read, every, every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is, for, it is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. So again, continually in the presence of God. The table of presence points us to Christ. Amen? A few weeks ago, Pastor, in his message, John uh, 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We have communion with God only through the Savior, Jesus Christ, who is in the presence of God. Again, this is God's prescribed way. This is the only way. We want to have fellowship with God. People want to have fellowship with God. But He's telling us, yes, you can, but this is the way, this is the only way it's done. The table of presence, what does that table of presence tell us? It tells us that God provides an everlasting covenant with His people. And Jesus has made the provision for, the, for that in the New Covenant. Amen? Next we have the lampstand. Verses 17 to 24. He also made the lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of hammered, hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers were of one piece with it. And there were six branches going out of its sides three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, and on, on the lampstand itself were four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out of it. Their calyxes and their branches were of one piece with it. The whole of it was a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. And he made its, he made its seven lamps and its tongues and its trays of pure gold. He made it and all its utensils out of a talent of pure gold. Now, if you remember, what, 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 what lit those lamps was uh, a specific blend, a special blend of oil that God had prescribed, that God had ordained. In fact, it was only to be used for, the, for, the, for the, the lamp in the tabernacle, the lampstand. If anyone was to use that for any other purpose, God said they'd be put to death. So it was specific. The holy place was a dark place because of the curtains, so the lampstand would, would serve the practical purpose of illuminating that chamber. It cast out the darkness, creating clearness so, so that the, uh, the priest can carry out God's instructions. And again, this lamp is not only practical, but it also symbolizes the light of God's word. Some, com- some commentators say that the lampstand with its flowers and buds represented the tree of life which really would make sense because God's Word brings life. Amen? So it's, it's through His Word. We, we no longer walk in spiritual darkness. Jesus is the light. He has fulfilled the law of God. And as we walk in light, our path is illuminated by God's Word, while at the same time we follow the example of Christ, believing in His finished work. The lampstand dispel darkness, making all things clear. And isn't that what God's Word does? Amen? Through the power of His Spirit makes things clear. The heavy darkness, even the heavy darkness that you and I may encounter, whether we are uh, afflicted by, by the evil one or in more cases than not, uh, our darkness is probably caused by, by giving in to our own perceptions and conclusions Uh, Sometimes that's referred to as stinking thinking, right? Uh, Those are the thoughts that have not been taken captive uh, to the truth of God's Word. Once we do take those thoughts captive, taking my perceptions, taking my presumptions, and put them next to God's Word, we gain clarity, we gain understanding, we even have peace, and we have joy. Because the sovereign God is the one who knows best and brings clarity to all our situations. And even when we have a dark time or, or a time, that a, a trial, we can rest knowing that God is there. Amen? And He is sovereign over all things. So what does the lampstand tell us? Well, it tells us that God word, God's Word brings uh, clarity in how we are to live and, and that we would have life. And Jesus, again, is the only pure and perfect life that gives and preserves life. Amen? Then we have the altar of incense. right In uh, verses 25 to 29, we read, He made the altar of incense of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit, and its breadth was a cubit. It was square, and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold, its top and its top and around its sides and its horns. And he made a molding of gold around it. And he made two rings of gold on it under its molding, on two opposite sides of it as holders for the poles with which to carry it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He made the holy anointing oil also, and the pure fragrant incense blended as by the perfumer. So as with the oil for the lamp, the same thing here. God had a special recipe, let's say, for the incense, only to be used for the altar of incense. Any other use of it, struck dead. This is exclusively for me, nothing else. This is the only way. And this altar, again, if you remember, stood directly in front of the veil, separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And the smoke created by the burning of the incense we learned that was represented the prayers of the people. The prayers of praise, of thanksgiving, and petition as they would rise up to the Lord. And we have a picture of that. We're reminded in Revelation 8, three. It says, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. This was again god 's prescribed way of approaching him, therefore, we can conclude that since God was approached in the prescribed way that he heard the prayers of his people amen and and we're reassured of that in proverbs fifteen twenty nine the law excuse me the lord is, is is the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous again, those who have been right, been made righteous today are those who have trusted. In the one perfect atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. After, com- after uh, completing in perfect obedience the purpose for which he was sent, Jesus continues to care for his redeemed people, you and I. Amen. And we read that in Hebrews chapter 7, uh, verses 23 to 25. The, it's This is a new living translation. I like the way it says it. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able, once and forever, to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Amen. Amen. So the altar of incense, what does it tell us? That God is a God who hears and answers the prayer of his people. Even as the priest symbolically did that. And today Jesus, right, intercedes on our behalf. Amen? Amen. So, I don't know if you realize this, but, but as this is being built, like I said, last week they built, the, they put up the, the, the tent of the tabernacle, okay, which would be the Holy of Holies and the holy place. All right? That was the first thing they put up. So, the next thing they put up was the altar, well, that they built and they set it in place. Then it was the mercy seat. All right? Then they came out and it was the table of presence. Then we have the lampstand and then we have the altar of incense, right? You see, it's, it's, it's from the inward out. It's almost a picture. I, I just see it as, as a picture of God. Reaching out to his people. God wanting to have help. God, right? God initiates. God initiated his relationship with us. Amen? No one seeks after God. All right? But God puts it in us that we would seek after him. He reaches out to his people. So now we see the way it's built from the inside out as if God were reaching out. And now we come to the point of, of, the, of us, of man, reaching out for God, of going to God. So we have the altar of burnt offering, right? The way, the, the way these things are, are set up in the, in, the, in the courtyard, right? The altar of burnt offering would be furthest from the tabernacle and then you'd have, which we'll read as the bronze basin. So it's, it's as if it's man approaching God and these would be the steps. So the, the, the altar of burnt offering, just bear with me, uh, we, we open up in chapter 38 now, the first seven verses. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length, and five cubits its breadth. It was square, and th- three cubits was its height. He made horns for it on its four corners. Its horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. And he made all the utensils of the altar, the pots, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the firepans. He made all its utensils of bronze." And he made for the altar a grating, a network of bronze under its ledge, extending halfway down. He cast four rings on the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. And he put the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar to carry it with them. He made it hollow with, with boards. Again, this is where the sacrifices would be made. In Leviticus, God instructed that the priests would keep this fire burning, right, in this burnt offering, in this basin, okay, because it was pretty much in constant use. The people's, I think, I think of, you know, the people's humility and need for forgiveness is what would bring them to the tabernacle, to the courtyard, um, and I think once they, one, maybe once they entered and they saw, all right, the altar of burnt offering, they anticipated that their sins were were to be forgiven that day. That they that they would be reconciled with God. It's something I think that they looked forward to, but this, this would have been done over and over again. It, again, it represented the fact that that blood which was sprinkled again on the mercy seat was required for the forgiveness of sins and we read all, we read that in hebrews 9:22 indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins again the altar was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ on the cross hebrews chapter 10 In verse ten, and by that will we have, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So, what, is the altar, what does the altar of burnt offering tell us? Again, God's required offerings by the people were accepted by God when they were presented this way. And it also tells us of Jesus at Calvary that he is the perfect and final offering when he said, it is finished. The altar was in so much use because there was so much sin, just like there is today. And it is is our responsibility for ourselves, our sanctification, that that we are aware of our sins and and that we... Bring that sin, that, that sin would bring us to the altar, the altar at the foot of the cross. Are we regularly searching ourselves and being honest without justifications to confess our sins before God? So the last piece is the, the bronze basin. Verse 8. He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. If you remember, before the priest could could make atonement for the people, he had to atone for his own sins. As the priests carried out their duties, the blood from sacrifices would be on them, and in accordance with God's command, the priest had to cleanse himself with the water in the bronze basin. He'd have to wash his hands and wash his feet. Again, a ceremonial Cleansing. This cleansing the priest underwent again points to what we have come to know as our sanctification. It is something we have to continually be part of. Do you remember when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples? And, and Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus responded, He was bathed, needs only to wash his feet. He's saying, look, someone who's already taken a bath isn't dirty. It's it's only your feet from walking outside. It's only your feet, so just wash your feet. Similarly, the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Spirit of God of the redeemed does not have to be repeated, right? It's a one and done. But because we are still inhabited with this sin nature that battles within us, we still fall in sin. We still commit sin. And because we still sin, we need to be cleansed of those sins. We are to confess our sins to God, asking again for His forgiveness. And if you remember that basin, it said it was, it was like a mirror. That polished uh, bronze would reflect. And it just makes us, makes us think that how we, are, how we are to cleanse ourselves, to confess our sin, that we're to look at ourselves in God's Word And when God exposes something and shows us something, that we would be quick to confess and repent and be cleansed of those sins, that we may have proper and righteous fellowship. So what does the Bronze Basin tell us? It tells us that God is holy and there can be no sin in His presence. And again, Jesus cleanses us from our sins and God forgives us when we confess and repent of them. So we'll f- we finish this this out tonight with with the last thing that was constructed, okay, and that was the the perimeter uh, curtain, right? What covered the outer courtyard, All right, There were hangings, there were pillars, there were hooks. Uh, part of uh, chapter thirty-eight it describes that outer curtain of the courtyard uh, being constructed again with all the fabrics, the design curtains, hooks, poles, and all sockets, and the gate from where the people would enter the courtyard was specific. In verses 18 and 19 of chapter 38 in Exodus, we read, And the screen for the gate, again, this is the perimeter curtain, the screen of the gate of the court was embroidered with needlework in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It was 20 cubits long and 5 cubits high in its breadth, corresponding to the hangings of the court." and their pillars were four in number. Their four, bases, their four bases were of bronze, their hooks of silver, and the overlaying of their capitals and their fillets of silver. Now, the curtain that was at the tabernacle entrance in verse, uh, chapter 36 of Exodus, verse 35, is the same way. He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens with cherubim Skillfully worked into, into it, he made it. Both curtains were the same. The entrance to the outer courtyard and the entrance to the tabernacle. So I believe when, when the people would come and they would, they would enter through that gate, okay. when the people would see that embroidered screen, it would remind them of the entrance to the tabernacle. They'd be reminded that they are entering the place where God was. Amen? They were anticipating that. They they would have been joyful that they were about to be reconciled. But also, this was the only way in. All right, It was quite a large area. I, I forgot the specifics, okay? But it was a big area. There was no back door. There was no hopping over the curtain. This was one way in. So what does the curtain tell us? It tells us that God is holy, and there is only one way to approach Him. And that way is Jesus. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus is the tabernacle of God. Each item is a symbol of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. The people trusted in the Savior to come. We trust in the One who has come. And I want to close with this one quote from, uh, you're going to hear his voice. Those of you that know him is J. Uh, J. Vernon McGee. Yeah, all right, okay. This is what he says. He speaks, he speaks of, of, of the, uh, the altar of burnt offering, but I just felt it just encapsulated all of this. He says this. When Christ came to earth, he not only fulfilled the picture of the tabernacle, He did something quite unusual. The tabernacle in the wilderness was always horizontal with the earth. It was set up on the flat surface of the ground, with its pillars and boards fitted into sockets they put down. But when Christ came to pay the price for our sins, He made the the tabernacle perpendicular. The cross was the brazen altar, where the Lamb of God was offered for our sins." He died down here to save us, but He returned to heaven where He lives today to keep us saved. The Holy of Holies is in heaven today. We do not go horizontally to God by going to a building or to a man, but we go to heaven and go directly to Him through Jesus Christ. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for your spirit, Lord God. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you are unchangeable. There is only one way to access you, to have communion with you. And we've learned in the Old Testament, in Exodus, and we'll continue to learn even more. About what you required, your prescribed ways, but Lord, we live today in the New Testament, in the New Church, and you didn't change your way, but you've had it fulfilled through your Son, and it is only through him, Lord God, that we can have communion with you, Lord God, and Father. I, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm literally preaching to the choir here, Lord God, but I, as we as we heard as the different parts and their and their purpose, Lord God, even just the cleansing, Lord God, the, the outer court, how we approach you, Lord God. Lord, that we would be honest with ourselves. You already know us. You know our hearts. You know our wrongs. You know our desires. May we be forthcoming with them to you and lay them before you and be cleansed by you But what Christ did, Lord God, that we may continue to have communion with you and grow, and be sanctified, and conforming to the image of the Savior. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you love us. Thank you for your mercy, and for your patience and grace with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: All right, if you could please stand. Um, We're going to open up the hymnals to 54. We're going to sing it twice over um, because I would think it would be fitting because, you know, to God, be the glory. And then after we sing it twice over, we'll close in a doxology. 54. 54. Why, what is 56? Oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. All right to god be the glory to god be the glory to god be the glory for the things he has done with his blood He has saved me with his power. He has raised me to God. Be the glory for the things he has done. To God be the glory, to God be the glory, to God be the glory for the things he has done with his blood he has saved me with his power he has raised me to god be the glory for the things he has done Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.